Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by James Bond. Wait, does James Bond really need a tuxedo? I mean, he's a spy that drinks on the job while saving the world from disfigured villains and hitting on every woman he meets. Seems like more of a tank top situation. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Realm and Conquest. The new YA novel about dreams that'll have you questioning your reality. Pick up a copy of Roman Conquest. Welcome everyone to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, writers. I'm a full-time writer-director and, and, and occasionally, uh, you know, a song and dance man as, as he goes with us. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> but it is funny, like, um, you know, we create, we're used to creating. Uh, we've been creating for a while. I, I think it's funny just because creating is such a beast you've been doing it for probably as long as you you can remember i know i've been writing since i was like in elementary telling stories uh and i think the hard part about creating is coming to the realization that you're not going to make anything new and that's really hard it's hard to kind of understand that there are no new ideas and that also means that at, at some point right? You're going to make something that sounds a lot like something else someone else has already made. And you have to kind of step away from that idea of I'm failing if I don't recreate the wheel, right? And I think uh, Indiana Jones is an interesting slight case study of that because apparently, man, I don't know if you've, you've heard this story before, Spielberg wanted to do James Bond. Like he was really excited about it and he apparently put together a pitch he went and pitched it to the producers uh james bond has had the same family kind of running and producing it uh, from the inception um and so i guess he went talked to these producers pitched his idea and they shot him down they're like this isn't a spielberg thing um and wow they're like we're going a, a a new direction actually um and so he was kind of bummed and he was talking to his buddy george lucas about it and George was like, Hey, man, I got, I've been working on something that's even better. It's like Bond, but better. Um, it's about an archaeologist. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> it's like, wait, that's better than James freaking Bond. Um, and yeah, he's like, okay, say less. You're like, let's, let's do it. Uh, and that's kind of where Indiana Jones came from. Like George Lucas had been working on this, you know, uh, on the side of, producing you know one of the biggest franchises in world history uh star wars um and threw this to to spiels and off he went right he created a whole new franchise uh because originally he was wanting to do something similar right he wanted to do james bond uh and so this is spielberg's version of a james bond film it's wildly different wow. as i'm sure we'll get into but uh that's that's wild like he had a taste for something and he had to make up his mind like it's okay that i'm not exactly imitating but i'm i'm thinking along the same lines i'm just going to make it my own and this is what came out of you know a few people in a room creating something for themselves uh inspired by something completely different and i don't know how you go about it i know i i definitely fall into this trap of uh, uh i remember last year after i like maybe for two or three days had finished my first draft of this feature script. And I, I get an email from the Alamo draft house, the local theater chain. 
and it's like, hey, there's a new little indie film uh, called Gaia, uh, and it's uh, come check it out. And I was like, Gaia, that, that already like sounded off an alarm because I'm playing in kind of the, the same kettle of fish. And I watched the trailer and it was a lot of the same ideas that I was, you know, uh, playing with. And I immediately was just fraught. <laughs> I was, I think I texted you immediately. I was like, what the, you know, and I was just cursing and was upset. Uh, and I was like, whatever, I'm going to go watch it. <laughs> so I go and watch it. Uh, and it didn't take long to realize, yeah. And, and on a higher macro level, I'm playing with, we're both playing in some of the same ideas, but the execution is so radically different. Like no one's going to confuse my film for this. And at the end of the day, it's you who is going to make your idea its own thing. Um, you could start with the same broad idea. And whenever you get into the specifics and, you know, one taste of a storyteller versus another uh, storyteller's taste, like they're going to turn out completely radically different. Who cares if some of the same ideas are laced or even maybe even the same story? You could take the same screenplay and have two different directors make it. And they're going to be two completely different films, even if it's the same, you know, screenplay. I don't know. How do you think about like treading the same water as someone else and, and dealing with that fear of unoriginality? Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I try to try to not think about it because the moment you think about it, you're kind of like in it, you know, that you're kind of doing it for the wrong reason. I mean, hmm. at least musically, uh, well, whatever you could talk about in any kind of creative capacity. Yeah. You could, you could imagine, you could look at it in a, as a glass half empty thing and say, Oh, you know, you're not going to make anything new, but really what it is, is not, I need to make something entirely new. It's, I need to make something more me, whatever that might be. And so, wow. uh, like for example, if I'm working at a song on a song or something, or I like, I sit down and I say, I want to make something, but I don't know where to start. I'll think of a song I really love and I'll think I'm going to write that song. I'm going to, I'm going to write as much like that song as possible. Everything in this right place, Radiohead. I'm going to write that song. I'll sit down and with every intention to do it exactly the same way. And it will sound nothing like it when I'm done, but it was a place to start. So yeah. And they did the same thing. Radiohead did the same thing, but they were modeling the Beatles. So they were modeling Queen or they were modeling, they, they loved, I don't know, Depeche Mode, some, whatever they were, everybody's influenced by everybody else, you know? And so uh, just embrace it. You know, this is a great example, which the story you just told is a great example of like Indiana Jones never would have happened had it not been for Bond. Right. So let's, let's take, let's take a, a Bond and make it like, pretty much opposite right. this guy who fails all the time right who's rough and and just messy and funny and uh like like curses and just like is not not proper to, you would never see you would never see indiana jones drinking a martini you know what i mean um who doesn't it doesn't wear anything close to to a suit right uh who's always dirty um, who gets to the nitty gritty, like, yeah, let's do something the opposite, but it has to start from something, right? Yeah. It has to start from, and, and in this case, it was, you know, Spielberg, his love for bond, that kind of individual who, you know, will get it done. 
there's the core is is that the, with both of them the core is i trust every bit of ounce of effort will will be given to the mission whatever that mission might be whether that's saving the girl whether that's you know finding the ark whether that's you know stopping the henchmen from destroying the earth whatever you know that you you trust that both 007 and indy will die trying and uh and and that's a, that's that's the core so you start with the core and then you build something around it that's that you feel doesn't you don't even have to think about making it different in a way you just make it and then it just has to be different yeah. because you're a different individual than the than you know uh than the person who made Indiana Jones or the person that made Gaia you know like you you have your own things and if it's too similar and you think it's too similar when you're done you can always change little things here or there that change everything because we talk about it on the podcast all the time it's the little things that that wow. really matter it's it's not the plot it's the things around the plot the plot is is kind of the thing you're talking about where where we say you're not going to make anything new right all the plots have been done right <laughs> let's just let's just go out and say that all the all the plots have been done usually like for the most part but if you change the little things enough that will eventually change the plot right hmm. or even if it doesn't change the plot it'll change how it ends up and maybe it makes the the ending even though it's a typical ending feel different Right. Yeah. If the way that you get there is different, then the ending is technically different because you feel different. Right. It's all about feeling and emotion and and how you get something across is just as important as what you get across. Is Indiana Jones success? Well, first off. Let's do spoiler <laughs> alert. If you haven't seen Indiana Jones, Raider of the Lost Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark, pause this episode, go watch it because we're going to spoil everything. Ready? I'm going to pause for two seconds. <laughs> Okay, cool. Here we go. Does is Indiana Jones successful? Yeah. Does he does he win at the end of the day? Yeah. Is that the typical ending? Yes, it is. Is James Bond successful? Does he win at the end? Yes. He wins. So the, the I, my point is that the plot is you know, you have you have this guy who has to who has to uh, go through this journey. He has to fail a bunch of times. And then finally he like finds a way to defeat the bad guy. That's been told. That's every story almost ever told, but the way you get there, yeah. right. The way that Indy gets there in Raiders is a completely different way than James Bond gets there. They fail. Sure. They hit walls. Sure. But the way they get there is the story. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, but there's a there's a writer. I don't remember who it was. It might have been J.D. Salinger, someone else. Uh, but the the idea was writing versus style, or maybe it was story versus style. Like uh, the story might be, you know, a guy drives from one end of town to the other. the The style is how he gets there, right? It's not just uh, the, the journey itself. It's not the beats. It's how does he get there? You know, do you cut to him at the store grabbing a beer 
Um, or is him just getting to the store, this whole freaking journey? I'm out of gas. I got a flat tire. Uh, I got held up, you know, at a, at a railroad, you know, whatever. There's a million things that could happen along the way, or it could just be a music track, right? Let's, let's throw on a track and we're going to watch him cruise through town. Like those are three different, radically different styles, uh, to the same concept of, uh, someone just getting from point A to point B. And to your point, like, this is a story that, you're right. I never thought about it that way. He does at the end of the day, arrive to the same, you know, ending that bond might, right. He, he ultimately walks out on top, but how he gets there is so backwards from how bond would get there. Because like you said, bond would never get dirty. He's not going to, he's in a suit. He's in a suit that he karate chops 50 people and a button never pops. Like that's, that's, that's bond. Um, whereas, you know, Indy uh, can barely keep his hat on. <laughs> He's just holding on in his dirty leather jacket uh, and a bullwhip. And yeah, it, it's radically different conclusions with the same overall big idea. And I love what you said at the start of the, uh, your your point, which was if you feel like it's too similar to something else, the problem is you need to make it more you. God, I love that because you are your own person. You're a unique person. You have your own taste you have your own things that you enjoy uh and if you make it a little bit more to your taste it'll be more specific and it won't feel like anything anyone else has ever done um and that's cool that's something that people uh will connect with ironically right um that's something that's just so specifically you they can connect with that if you make something that you're trying to make other people enjoy uh that might be a little bit harder for them to connect with it's it's a bit of a paradox um but probably a yeah. really good guiding light at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's it really. It's, it's just, it's just, everybody has their own, their own way of telling a story, right? It's not, it doesn't mean that whatever you make is going to be great mm-hmm. or right, you know, yeah. or like different enough, even maybe it's too similar still, but I think that in your heart, you kind of know that in your heart, you kind of know, you know, maybe I'm not good enough yet, but if I keep going, I I will be. And if I love it enough, you know, then I'll just keep doing it, which means I will get better, you know, and that's, that's the thing. So it's, it's not like a catch all, you know, just be yourself and it's going to be good, but it is something that you'll be more proud of at the end of the day, right? Instead of, you know, but, it, but I guess my whole point is that it can start by trying to copy. That's it. it it's totally okay. Cause you're not take, it's not like you're taking something that is, it's not like you're plagiarizing words, right? Words are final. You know, if I go and I copy words from someone else that that's final, it is exactly the, the same word for word, literally. That, that's why, you know, we say that, it, you know, but when you're talking about taking an idea an idea is just that it's just an idea, but there are millions of uh, tendrils that are connected to that idea that make it what it is. So it could be, it could be, it's the same idea, but it's shot differently, Mm -hmm. right? Obviously the words around, if you're talking about a film, the words around it are going to be different. The actors are going to be different. The way, the thing that they bring to the table, whenever you film them is going to be different. Their interactions are going to be different. Uh, but it, and if you shoot it more close up or something, the feeling is totally different, even though it's the same exact story. Right. Yeah. But it starts with the same. It starts with something that's just going to kick off an idea or kick off a, a passion. 
right? When and when you feel it, you know it. I know you know it. When you when you have this idea, when you start something, right, and you don't know where it's going to go, and all of a sudden something clicks, and you're like, oh, I'm really liking this. I don't want to be anywhere else than right here doing this right now. Okay, now I've got something. That's the moment that you look for. Is yeah. that moment of I would rather be in this room right now doing this than anywhere else in the world. I don't want to be on a on a on a boat in Cabo San Lucas. I don't want to be, you know, uh, you know, hiking in in the woods. I I don't want to be anywhere else but right here right now. And then you've got something. So just look for those moments because those are the ones that are fleeting and are hard to find. And when you find them, you got to like capitalize on them, but they only come if you start and just having, giving yourself a little bit of leeway to start from something that already exists is okay. In fact, I think it's a great way to start because you're starting from something that was already successful, right? right? <laughs> something that already has proven to be great. And that so, you connect yeah. with, that means something to you. And that, that you, Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And it's tricky because sometimes it, it's, it's tough to also avoid like plagiarism. And that's kind of the line that we're talking about. It's one thing to start, like you're saying, inspired and say, I'm going to create this thing. And you deviate one little time and suddenly becomes its own thing. Uh, and then just like you said, copying word for word. Uh, that's tough. I've certainly done that you know once where i looked up i was so stressed about a project um and i finished it and i had a thousand things and i in one section of this project i after it was done i realized what did i just do it was it still gives me like night sweats and maybe ultimately not not that big a deal but for me like as a creator that's just the single worst feeling in the world to feel like uh, I just totally aped someone else's work and I've made it a big point in, you know, in the future to be like, no, 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 you know, just take inspiration, but make sure you don't inadvertently. And it really was inadvertent. It's just trying to meet a deadline and you're like, oh, this is cool. Uh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of this. And it just, you know, you hit your deadline and look up like F my life, like, Good Lord. Um, but yeah, no, it yeah. still gives me nightmares and like keeps me up at night. Um, even though this was whatever a decade ago, <laughs> it's like, you know, when you're starting yeah. out, you're just trying to figure it out. Um, and so plagiarism, not good, but you know, inspiration, amazing. Do, do that totally. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, we're going to look at a few things for Raiders of the Lost Ark. We'll look at some of the cinematography, the framing, blocking, some cheating, um, if you will. Uh, we'll look at some of the story and writing, setting up the supernatural, indie, the hero, uh, and some of his epic failures and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Archaeology professor Indiana Jones ventures to seize a biblical artifact known as the Ark of the Covenant. While doing so, he puts uh, he puts up a fight against Rene and a troop of Nazis. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan, uh, cinematography by Douglas Slocum, uh, featuring Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, Karen Allen as Marion, Paul Freeman as Rene Belloc, and John Rhys Davies as Sala. You know, five years ago, I would have gone out for it myself. I'm really rather envious. Got a locate Abner. Think I know where to start. Will she still be with him? Possibly. 
Marion's the least of your worries right now, believe me, Hindley. What do you mean? Well, I mean that for nearly 3,000 years, man has been searching for the last ark. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before. <laughs> oh, Marcus, what are you trying to do? Scare me? You sound like my mother. We've known each other for a long time. I don't believe in magic, a lot of superstitious hocus-pocus. I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. You're talking about the boogeyman. Besides, you know what a cautious fellow I am. So, Todd, I don't know what you're... I don't, I don't know what to call it, your relationship with Indiana Jones is. Uh, but but I'm curious, for one, uh, was this a, a meaningful series for you growing up? Um, because it's such an odd film, especially Raiders, for you and I, uh, because this is, you know, before our time. We've always grown up in a world where Indiana Jones existed. He's always existed for us. And so it's hard for us to understand the impact this movie had on filmmaking and the culture and this. And every time I, I hear older filmmakers uh, talk about this, it, it feels like this was a, a dividing line and, and cinema of there's before Raiders and there's after Raiders. Um, and so it seems to be like a really important uh, film and, you know, not just adventure, you know, storytelling, uh, but also in just, you know, style and a lot of ways, I'm sure. But that also doesn't mean that it necessarily needs to hold up uh, for the past 40 years. And so for you, you know, let me know if how this lands for you uh, during your, your youth. But also, do you think, you know, it, it, it holds up as well as it did back then? I loved it growing up. I mean, it was it was everybody wanted to be Indiana Jones, you know, and I think it I think mostly because he was relatable. James Bond was not relatable. Nobody was James Bond. Nobody could be James Bond. James Bond was the girls want to get with him, guys want to be him kind of dude. He was like the rock star, right? But unattainable. Uh, and Indy was different. Indy was the everyman's 007. And Indy was, you know, who I wanted to be when I grew up because he knew there were dangers. He knew he'd probably fail and he did it anyway, you know? Yeah, it was it was Indiana Jones, right? And um, before I, bef you know, even knew that it was a persistence game, it was uh, mm. it was something that taught me a lot. You know, taught me that there's a cost to things, and that thing, and that you'll stumble, but you just keep going. You know, it was kind of like like Rocky in in a way. You know, uh, so I, I growing up, I absolutely loved it. I mean, watching and then so watching it again, you know. There's there's a sense of uh, nostalgia, obviously that I that I have, and and seeing Harrison Ford that young is like just love it. I just absolutely love it. I mean, it's it's like watching Star Wars again. You know, you're just like, oh my god, I, I, a young Harrison Ford is just so cool. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I just love young Harrison Ford. Um, <clears throat> as for does it hold up? I mean, what I'll, I'll be completely honest. Yes, in so many ways, and no in a few. Yeah. Right. And but tell me any 1981 movie that will hold up to right. 2022. Right. None of them will. Absolutely none. I mean, maybe Blade Runner, but I wasn't mm. even a fan necessarily today of of Blade Runner. We have True. that yeah. that episode. Right. 
but this is much more fun to yeah. me. Blade Runner is like, I don't want to talk about it too much, but it's just like very dark all the time. And this is, this is a lot of fun because of what you said earlier, like he gets his shit handed to him all the time. Stuff happens that is completely out of his control. Uh, he loses his, his weapons and stuff. And then, you know, he thinks that he, he thinks that he kills Marion, that it's his fault that Marion dies. And so like all of the, it's, it's an mo- emotional roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. For him as a character. And I think that that was done unbelievably well. I think that the, 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 the character development, the exposition, the camera work, the, the writing in general, the, the sets, the set design. Oh my God. The action sequences. Think about 1981 and that car, that car chase where he is fighting in the truck and then goes underneath the truck and then comes around and kicks the guy from the side, comes in this, the side of the truck. Think about doing that in 1981. Think about those stunt actors who fell out of the, the trucks and rolled down the hill. Those are real people. This is not CGI bullshit. This is like real deal. It was unbelievable. So I absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm taking my mind and putting it back in 1981. And I think that's important to do when you watch this movie, because there are a few cheesy parts that mm-hmm. I, that, you know, like between him and Marion, there are a few cheesy parts and, and stuff, but for the most part, like I love her as a character. She is strong. I mean, the first thing she does is punch him in the face. <laughs> And then when they, and then, and then right after that, when the, the bad guys, whatever you want to call them, come and, and want the medallion, you know, she won't give it to him. She knows that it's going to be, you know, she's going to get it handed to her, but she won't give it to him. She's like super strong. And I absolutely love the way they develop her. And I love the way that they shot this too, because, and, and the, the, the brilliance and the, of, of Spielberg, I think for, this is one of my favorite movies that he's ever done because there's a story. So the, the shoot, I think we might have talked about it, but the, the, the scene where he shoots the, the guy with the sword mm-hmm. in the, yeah. in the, in the street. Yeah. Uh, when they were filming that, everybody was sick. I think, I think it was like every, the food was making everybody sick on mm-hmm. set and Harrison Ford was really sick. And so he, he, he just didn't want to do a fight scene and they had a fight scene planned that they had been, they had been planning. And so he said to Spielberg, he said, can I just shoot him? And, and Steven said, yeah, that's a great idea. Absolutely. And so that's what he did. And so that's what's in the film. But the brilliance of Spielberg to allow flexibility, yeah. you know, in, 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 in areas on a film that he was so invested in and, and want, wanted to do so passionately and loved says a lot about a director. And then, you know, trust in his actor, Harrison Ford, and like, how are you going to do it? Because the way he does it is just as important as the fact that he does it. He does it so nonchalantly, like, I can't be bothered with this guy. <laughs> and that's is so it's perfect. It's absolutely and it's iconic. It's like one of the most yeah. iconic scenes <laughs> in cinema. It's like up there, right? Yeah. But to have the foresight as a director to allow that change, you know, you've been planning for weeks to do a fight scene and now we're not. I'm sure that the actor who got shot was probably a little let down that he didn't yeah. get his fight scene. But anyway, I absolutely adore it still to this day and can look past any kind of you know, expectation I would have for a 2022 caliber film because the acting is great. The writing is great. The way they introduce Indy at the beginning is so triumphantly beautiful. (laughs) The music is fantastic. And the way that they use the music is great too. At the beginning, when they introduce Indy, we don't see Indy at first. And then when he walks into the light 
at the beginning, the music kind of like drops. It's not like a rise in, in music. Like here's Indiana Jones. It's ominous almost. Like we don't know what this character is capable of yet. You know, they don't give us, they don't assign trust to Indiana Jones yet. And that completely plays out through their journey into the, into the tomb where they're trying to, to get the, the artifact. Uh, we don't really trust him. We don't trust the guys around him either because one of the guys had just tried to shoot him and he stopped him with his whip. So we kind of trust the other guy, but not sure yet. And so anyway, it's just the whole scene and then the iconic scene with the boulder coming down and, and it's just so beautifully done in establishing who Indiana Jones is that I don't know. It, it's one of my favorite ways to introduce a main character I, I mean, yeah, know, I can't think of another one. I agree. I mean, I don't know, certainly not off the top of my head. I'd have to, we'd have to huddle, right? And really put our yeah. heads together. But I think you're right. I mean, this has got to be the best, if not one of the best uh, opening sequences of all time. Because you're right. It, you, it's not just, on the one hand, an opening sequence is important to establish the kind of film you, you're in, uh, the world, some of the rules, expectations. Uh, and in this case, you know, it was just a, uh, a thrill, right? This nice 15 minute thrill ride of epic success and failures. Uh, and, but at the same time, you're also, like you said, introducing a new character. We don't know who this guy is yet. And so there's a lot of mystery and fun that you can have with that because, I mean, it's probably what, two, three minutes uh, before we even see his face. The, the classic, like, uh, we keep obscuring him, right? We're going to look at his shoes. We're going to look at him at his hand as he grabs this poison dart um, and et cetera, et cetera, until we never, we never meet him until he's made his first action of self-defense, right? Like, oh, I'm going to use my whip, my tool uh, to, you know, knock the gun out of this guy's hand because uh, he's also not a cold-blooded murderer. That's uh, also part of, you know, his appeal and until, you know, push to shove. And, and that scene and with the, uh, the, in the market in Cairo shooting the, the, the swordsman, that's, I can see why it wasn't in the script, but I can also see why uh, it still works because it wasn't cold blood. It was this guy literally pulled a giant scimitar out of his belt. <laughs> like, is that what that is? A I scimitar? Don't know. It, it looked. Oh, just a word you made up? Yeah. Well, I, it's a okay. type of sword and it's probably scimitar. I don't know. These are words that okay. I read, people. I don't pronounce them. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a languager, you should have hired a Indiana. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I can see why it would work for his philosophy as a as a person. Yeah. And so I think my feelings are very much identical to yours in terms of like, I don't think it holds up, you know, perfectly. Uh, there's some sequences, even that, that whip scene at the beginning, you could feel it. It's a little stiff. It's, uh, uh, uh -huh. you know, it's static shot of belt, uh, static shot of his hand cocking back the whip and then a static shot of the gun getting knocked out. It's very unfluid. <laughs> like it, and so, it, but as the film progresses, I feel like, you know, Spielberg kind of got away from that and he started making uh, a little bit more, fluid camera movements to help accentuate the action and for maybe the introduction this is just what still would make sense i doubt it i feel like you would probably make it a little bit quicker and a little bit harder uh just so that you can feel i don't know bang 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 here it just it feels feels like we're just standing on our feet uh watching someone 
have a gun pointed at them for several seconds <laughs> and not get shot. Like it's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. The arc was already opened apparently at the beginning of the film. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. it, it's, it's pretty wild, but you know, those moments aside, it still really works well. Um, and the stuff that I think really bothers me. And that's not even the stuff that bothers me. Um, it's still forgivable. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to, I think some of my smaller, I don't know, smaller, it's a relative thing, uh, hiccups, but overall, like it's still a very functional film. I love your point about the set design and wardrobe. Like it all still works. That's, these are some really beautiful sets and the photography is still gorgeous. Like that shot of the sun, um, in the background of them working, uh, at the top of that hill, like is just incredible. What a beautiful shot. And so many other shots are just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, great characters. And that's what makes this a good movie ultimately, right? It, it relies on really good characters. Like you said, Marion is a great character. Indy, uh, even the enemy Belloc and is, was a really fascinating guy because he's, he's a Frenchman working with the, the Nazis, right? And he's, who is he? He's trying to, get him killed, get Indy killed, but he's also trying to not let Marion get killed. Like, and so he's got some internal conflict that we can see him wrestling with. Um, and even Indy kind of knows it and points it out. So you have all these really fascinating characters, the Nazis, a little less fascinating, but I just find it fascinating that Spielberg, uh, likes to use Nazis in this way. This isn't a dramatic film. This is a fluff piece. This entire movie is nothing but fluff. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, I guess to jump my own gun here a little bit, that's kind of my only problem with this film is it's all, this isn't even popcorn. This is a roller coaster with nothing on the other side. <laughs> like you, you <laughs> get out the same place you got in. Like it's, it's yeah. not popcorn. It's cotton candy, zero redeemable value. Like popcorn at least has some nutritional, you know, substance to it. Um, unless you're just dousing it in, you know, all butter, but this has no substance to it almost at all. Like any substance you pull out of it, you're looking for, like you're creating it. The viewer, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because there's, I think that yeah. to me, the only substance is at the very end where they put the arc at mm. area 51, I guess, or whatever. Cause then that tells, that makes me think, Oh, there's more to this story. Are they going to make another one? Like that feels like substance to me. Yeah. But I totally agree. Other than that, it's just, it's, because I would say popcorn, but you're right. It's more cotton candy. It's a great contrast to last week, right? We did Jurassic Park. And even though in some ways from the outside, these might look like the same kind of movie, just this, uh, you know, soulless adventure thrill, thrill ride. Jurassic Park had some really interesting philosophical questions that informed all the action. This has no real philosophical underpinning um, about the sacredness of the arc or the the sacredness of uh, I don't know historical you know properties. Uh, the idol really had nothing, but you know particularly important about it. It was just an artifact. It was just something that belongs in a museum, and so there's nothing governing the the action or the fall of of any characters here. It's just. Um, we have a desire, right? We have this MacGuffin 
that turns out to be a little bit more than a MacGuffin, um, the, the arc that is driving all the action. And normally a MacGuffin doesn't quite have, I think, this much impact on the story uh, as far as the resolution goes, right? The, uh, the Maltese Falcon didn't suddenly come alive and eat everyone on screen like the arc did. <laughs> the arc literally comes to life and devours everybody. But I guess circling back to my original point that Spielberg felt comfortable using Nazis and a completely soulless film uh, that that's fluff. It's just, uh, Hey, I'm going to, you, and I find it fascinating because he's Jewish. He has a very strong, you know, history with telling stories about the Holocaust. Uh, and, and as we'll see next week, even more, um, stuff about Israel, like he clearly is, is not just, you know, Jewish in name only, right. Uh, he clearly has a, a very strong personal history and, and perspective about, you know, the Holocaust in particular, which that's the Nazis. And so I find it really fascinating that he felt comfortable putting them in such a lighthearted film. Um, and granted they make for easy villains, but you have to remember he has to sit on set surrounded by Nazi paraphernalia. Um, he has to create Nazi characters and like, you have to embed yourself in all this. And I just, worry that as a, as a society, we're losing a little bit of this ability to uh, wrestle with these things and, and be okay uh, having certain things around us that we don't like uh, or that we find uh, personally, you know, violate our, our sense of self. Um, and I love that because also it gives him a chance, I think, too, to make a lot of really fun Nazi deaths, right? Like, fine, I'll, I'll pay the, I'll pay the piper, but I'm going to get my due, right? He's going to, uh -huh. he's going to exactly. butcher these guys. One guy literally goes into a propeller. <laughs> like how satisfying yeah. is that? Fantastic. <laughs> and then, you know, the rest, uh, it's, it's really nice because the, the arc does the dirty work, right? God strikes down the Nazis and it's a pretty satisfying, uh, victory, um, and way to end the Nazi story. And yeah. And so I, I think, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing to kind of dive into and and look at and just kind of wrestle with internally um but it, it it's yeah i great use of of you know your your mortal enemies um, yes totally and, agree yeah and it, it it also sets up you know your enemy pretty well or the uh the the threat because if the arc is really this you know big dangerous thing uh, it's also like a uh it, it could be something that empowers Hitler, right? That's kind of the, the, the statement is, you know, can you imagine uh, the, the army holding this is unstoppable, basically, um, and, and Hitler wants it. Uh, and so they don't really hammer that home um, multiple times. They kind of just say it once and let it go. But yeah, growing up, uh, back to the original idea here, big deal to me. Like Star Wars was, you know, fairly big, I guess, but Indiana Jones for me was much, much bigger. Like my brother for one of his birthdays, he got a whip <laughs> and we beat the shit out of each other with this thing. <laughs> Just bleeding. Oh my God. Hurting. You, anyone who can master the whip, my hat's off to you. Cause that was not us. <laughs> Despite all of our efforts. Uh, we, That's I'm, hilarious. I'm glad we just have functioning eyes after that, you know, for years dealing with this thing, man, it was brutal, not good. And we could never figure Ouch. out how he managed to make it work. Of course, now as adults, we realize that's a movie. <laughs> they made yeah. it work because he didn't need it to work. Um, right. Yeah. But 
Yeah, and this is an interesting film to study too. I a long time ago, this might have been like ten years ago. Soderbergh. I want to say O Soderbergh. I'm not 100 percent sure, um, but I want to say O Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh, who had a blog, and he would just write about film thoughts, like as a filmmaker, here's what I'm studying, kind of thing. And this is someone that had already made incredible films, um, like Ocean's Eleven, right? Like just. A, a titan already in his own right um and i have a lot of respect for soderbergh and maybe at some point we'll you know touch on a few of his films but he was just discussing on his blog indiana jones raiders of the lost ark um and he's like here's one thing i did spielberg is a master at visual storytelling so you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna watch his movie muted and in black and white and he was like I, I, I'm going to upload it. He had a Vimeo account. <laughs> he put it up on Vimeo. Oh my God. And so wow. I watched like the first half of the film muted and in black and white to see what he was talking about. Like just studying the visual language of Spielberg. And he made a big point about the opening sequence. And he's like, just look at like, it's rising. We're going left to right and rising through nearly every single shot. And so you're telling a very strong visual story uh, about, you know, just getting from point A to point B. Uh, and we're going through the jungle. It doesn't matter what shot we're doing. Even some of these that look like we're from behind, you can still see us rising and moving slightly to the right. Um, that's so, a great point. Just amazing. And so that's a, as a, you know, I don't have quite the patience of a Soderbergh. Apparently maybe that's why I'll never be as good, but he just literally could sit and watch a movie on, on mute in black and white for two hours. Um, which I guess isn't that hard to do if you're not a complete ass, uh, but, <laughs> but not I, but, and so, yeah, it's just fascinating the way that you can study someone like Spielberg for their visual acumen, um, because he is doing something really special, um, every time he picks up the camera and yeah. And, and I guess just a last little note on this big idea of Spielberg as a, filmmaker coming into his own he did jaws in 75 this came out in 81 and so there was six years between here and there he made other films you know it wasn't like he was just sitting on the sidelines trying to think of his, his next thing uh even before jaws he made several films several tv movies he made one that came into theaters i guess imdb doesn't point it out as a tv movie but i'd never even heard of this film um and so spielberg was working you know and it took a while before he hit his stride. Uh, and so, you know, to, I guess everyone out there and speaking to myself, it's okay if you don't hit your stride your first time at bat, you know, just try to keep getting up to bat. And that's the hard thing is to have the guts to keep getting up and taking swings um, because striking out in front of, you know, a thousand people, least fun, you know, game ever, <laughs> you know, to, to keep stepping up to the plate though takes a lot of courage and hopefully uh you have support along the way i'm sure i'm sure he did i i have i don't have spielberg's clout or uh you know connections and to some degree he built his own connections uh but it takes courage one way or another whether or not you have support uh it takes a lot of guts to say damn this was close but no cigar i'm gonna keep going uh so take heart go study just go look at his first six films and be like oh two of these were great Four of these I've never heard of, and I bet if I watch them, uh, they'll they'll have some highs, but they're not going to like blow my socks off. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a great that's a great point, man. It's it you gotta you gotta love the process, 
right? Of whatever it is that you're doing. You know, if you, if this is, uh, I saw somebody say, you know, sit down and write all the things you love to do and then, and then scratch out the stuff that you think that everybody loves doing. And then look and see what's the most important to you, whatever's left, what's the most important thing to you and circle that. That's what you should be doing. And then I'm paraphrasing, but, but if what that is, is what you're doing, then you should just love the process. Right. And so like you love, you love writing and making films. So you do that and that's what you do. You know, I love writing and making music myself. So that's what I, I do. And I'm going to put stuff out. Maybe it'll hit, maybe it won't. But point is, is that I loved doing that. I love the process of doing that. And so you can't help, but eventually get better. And then, you know, hopefully have some success, but, uh, that's even Spielberg, you know, like you're not born with talent. I'm sorry. You're not, you might be genetically seven feet tall. And so you can play, you you can, you could be a basketball player, but you're not a good basketball player because you're seven feet tall, right? You're a good basketball player. Cause you work your ass off yeah. and you, and you try to get better, more talent. It's the same thing for anything. So I could not, I, resonate more with what you're saying great point so we'll look at a few things here real quick uh cinematography framing it's always you know this goes back to you know the master there's simple stuff that he does that i just think is really really good in its simplicity so one of the things and this was like maybe a second long shot uh of the way he keeps geography on the screen. So there's this shot when Indy is on horseback and he's racing to try to whatever, save the donkey or whatever he's trying to do. I forget. Um, he's catching up to the arc, I guess. Uh, but he, he, he rides up on top of this hill to get a good look at everything. And when he rides at the top of the hill, it's a brief wide shot of him on his horse on top of this, uh, little mountainous rocky hill. And the way he framed it, was almost in in a third the top third uh is where the horse was and indy on top of the horse the bottom two thirds uh gave space for the hill the rocky hill and so we can still feel that he's up on this hill because of the use of that framing that composition it kept him you know high on frame and showed us a lot of hill whereas i think most filmmakers myself included might fall into the pit of oh, I want a shot of Indy on the horse. I'm going to frame him up nice and big uh, and put him right there in the middle. And that's fine. It's not like that it's the wrong way to do it, but you do lose a sense of the geography of the scene um, because this is a very quick, quick, you know, cut, cut, cut. Uh, he rides up onto this hill, he gets a view, and then he's back down. He's running again. Um, and so just with this, you know, composition, uh, he's able to keep us oriented within all the movement of the landscape because we're we're on horseback we're on in jeeps and uh trucks and so the the scenery is changing very very quickly uh and just having the the idea that i'm going to make sure we feel him on top of this hill uh it was just very simple way to reinforce the geography of what was going on within the the context of the scene and in a completely different way uh, i love the blocking you know towards the end i guess through some very simple framing it's the scene at the boat where Sala is saying goodbye, right? He says goodbye to Indy. Uh, they have that long, awkward hug. Um, and then Sala steps up stage uh, towards or downstage towards camera. 
and now he's really big in the in the frame frame left but we can still see uh, the boat captain um, talking to Indy and Marion saying, Hey, I'm going to take care of you, blah, blah, blah. And they say, thank you, whatever. And then Marion steps, uh, you know, downstage right up into the camera says goodbye. Right. Gives him the kisses on the cheek and one on the lips. Um, and then they walk away and then he like his eyes bloom. Right. And then he starts singing this big, uh, operatic song, um, and goes and kisses one of his men or whatever, uh, and then walks off, uh, and walks by the boat and we see Marion and Indy kind of wave and cut. And it's this one shot. And I love it because through blocking, uh, without moving the camera, we're able to kind of get a, a medium at the beginning and then Sala steps up and then Marion steps up. Now we can get a close up of this, of this kiss, which is important so that we can see his reaction, right? It's this really sweet, tender moment between two friends. And then he, or she leaves and we're staying there where we get to hang out with him. And then as he leaves, finally we start moving the camera. And so through mostly blocking and a little bit of camera movement, we're able to get a medium a close up and a wide and without ever having to cut like it's very simple um and it's very spielberg and i feel like just it's his simplicity and more and more you know i i just i i adore simplicity of really good storytelling um and he's just a, a king yeah and that that also i love that moment too that also heightens the moment for sala whom we love we love that character he's helped indy the whole time and we don't even know why necessarily, you know, like they're just friends and, yeah. and they've been friends for a while. And so we kind of want that for him. And by not cutting away, it it's it's more of a real moment where it's it's not made up through cuts. It's like, no, it exists in itself. And then we get to experience that with him. So, yeah, great, great point. Yeah. And Sala, just as a side story here. I don't know what to make of this character. Yeah. It never occurred yeah. to me until putting together the notes that that's John Reese Davies. Um, yeah. And I, I feel pretty confident he's not Egyptian. And so uh, it, it starts, I don't know if that's brown face, but if, if it is, that's, that's not good. <laughs> I don't no. know what to do with that. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. I, either. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty but, sure he's, he's just a Brit, you know, yeah, I hands off on that one. Um, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. Do better. <laughs> I mean, in, in 1981, you know, yeah. we, we've had Tropic Thunder since then. So well, I, that was I don't, a whole other thing. That would be a fun movie cover. But because um, yeah. that's harpooning a lot of uh, stuff. Um, I totally get it. And, yeah. But we also had Short Circuit after this. Uh, and that's Fisher Stevens oh, yeah. in yeah. like pretty hardcore brown face. Uh, yeah, dicey stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about John Reese Davies. I know he's like Welsh, but maybe his family's from elsewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, let's not go down that road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> moving on. Worth worth noting and and probably chewing yeah. on, but uh, I don't Good have point. the insight um, on exactly what's going on there. And so, some of the other cinematography stuff that I love that he's doing is some of the dramatic flair and some of the cheating. Uh, that he does with, you know, just use of a cut um, or use of something he's doing in frame. I think there's probably a lot of dramatic stuff happening. If you look at how Indy 
like uh, Harrison Ford as he runs through the streets sometimes, like if he overruns a, a path, right? He has these really big physical movements. And so there's a lot of physical acting. That's kind of the stuff I'm talking about. Um, but a really primo example of it is the end of that opening sequence. He gets on the plane. Um, he gets in the plane, right? The whole snake. I hate snakes. That's just my pet Reggie. Um, and whatever. We cut to the sunset and they fly off. That shot of the plane riding off into the sunset it's tilting heavily left to right, right? It's almost cartoonish and, and just how unsteady it is and unstable. And it could have easily just been flown off uh, like a normal plane, right? I don't think a pilot is showing his metal by wobbling. But doing that, right, it adds like a really nice juice to the scene. Um, and that's the kind of story this is. Some stories that would not be good in. Like you wouldn't want to do that in the Bond film. But you can do that in the Indiana Jones film, right? Because this is that kind of silly over-the-top dr drama and having that plane just kind of shake back and forth as it's, you know, uh, doing its thing. That's fun. It's dramatic and it's, it's flair for the story. Uh, it works really well. And a similar but wildly different idea of being able to cheat, you know, for the sake of the, the type of film you're doing. Man, Indy just appears places. <laughs> he we never see him get anywhere. He's just there. Like that shot on the boat. Uh, everyone's like, where's he at? And then he's just suddenly on the submarine. Um, it, and then once the submarine arrives, he's just suddenly on land and hiding in the docks. Like that's a great use of a cut. Like we can imagine how he's doing that. Right. And it kind of adds to his mystique. Uh, we don't need to earn those moments. Um, and Spielberg is just a master at knowing when to cheat like perspective or the story a little bit. And this is a, a really good example of, you know, it doesn't matter how he got there. He's there. He's freaking Indiana Jones. That's what matters. Uh, I love it. It's, it's, you know, classic Spielberg. <laughs> In my research, uh, I, I did a little bit of research. It, they, they actually shot a scene that they deleted of him holding on to the, to the mast of the, of the uh, submarine as the submarine was no kidding. Was like, you know, driving away. And actually, if you look at there's a there, at the frame where it's coming to the island, you can see someone uh -huh. at the top and of the wide. The, yeah. yeah. And that's supposed to be him. That's Holy supposed to be him. Crap. They shot it, but then he decided to remove it later because he because of that exact trick you were talking about. Just like, let's just be there. We don't need it. Whatever. So that's he cool. just shows up someplace. That's I know, nice right? that he that covers cool? bases. Yeah, it's that's a good thing to do, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it kind of goes to the, the heart of this whole film, which is it's pure visual storytelling, right? The opening sequence has hardly any dialogue, hardly a word from Indy. And we're just tracing through the jungle. Someone runs off, right? Scared. Oh, there's a statue. I know where we are. Oh, my God. I got to go. Ah, Literally screaming through the frame. And then, you know, someone else runs off, right? The, the guy who's like, we shouldn't be here. And he pulls his gun. And he runs off uh, without the screaming, though I'm sure when he died, uh, he probably screamed a little. And then we enter a cave, right? Avoid all these traps. We get the golden idol. We escape, right? It's just, and this whole film is that. It's long uh, sequences of action just butted up against each other, one after another. Um, and every rare once in a while, we'll get a breather. Um, but for the most part, it's a fairly breathless film. And 
that's this entire movie. That's what makes it fun uh, and gives rise to the the roller coaster film. Um, it's like, oh, who cares if you know we didn't learn a moral lesson at the end of it? Uh, I had a great time, <laughs> um, yeah. and that gets into the the story and writing because they still do need to do some work. You can't just you know run through this thing. Uh, and one of the things that they really have to do is set up the fantastic because um, you have this ending that's wild, right? You would never have like the the holy ghost uh in a bond film right that suddenly comes and saves the day and so in order to earn that you got to set it up a lot and they do a lot right we start at the very beginning after the opening sequence he's in his class whatever uh, he gets pulled out and there's these g-men uh who are like hey we're we're looking for this thing uh and so he opens the book we see a drawing of the ark uh and he's they start asking what is all that it's lightning it's fire it's the power of god or something and that's when brody i think says uh the army which carries the ark before it is invincible well hitler's looking for it right and so you have this idea of hitler with the ark starting taking place we have that clip uh that i played uh at the beginning of the show right where indy you have bigger problems than marion for 3,000 years, man has been searching for it, for the Ark, and no one knows its secrets. And then you have uh, Belloc, I think, right? Uh, or no, no, it's uh, Sala, right? Death has always surrounded it, right? It is not of this earth. And then Belloc, I think, has this comment about, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter for talking with God. So throughout the entire film, they keep building up the Ark and what's in it and the power of it. Um, and so whenever they finally open it up, we're expecting it. It's not like this surprise. It's like, no, 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 no. What's going to happen when they open up this ark? This is a massive biblical concept um, with a lot of weight, you know, for anybody in the Judeo Christian world. And so it's really important. It comes with a lot of built in heaviness. And so using all these buildups, finally we get to this moment okay, we've earned it. We can have this really wild, uh, frenetic finale uh, that is like, dang, yeah, that, was, that don't want to do that. <laughs> like, shouldn't, shouldn't open that uh, box. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so let's look at a little bit of Indy as a, as a hero, as an action hero. It's a lot of fleshing them out, right? Uh, to your point, like they created a really good character. Um, they gave him a really good introduction. Uh, and part of that introduction was, He's unaffected. He he's unaffected by everything. These booby traps. Uh, he good, cool. Which, by the way, if you ever find a booby trap that works after whatever a thousand years, that is incredible. Like we've never found anything, you know, from antiquity that still operates uh, because stuff breaks. Stuff breaks down. That's time. Uh, and so, there in no universe would a booby trap still be uh, functional. And so, Indy is a hero, right? Unaffected by all that stuff, um, traps or whatever, unaffected by spiders. That's a horrific scene, right? With all the tarantulas everywhere. And so we set up his, like, he's unafraid of everything until he gets on the plane. Hates snakes. And then we see him get thrown in a snake pit, right? That's great. But not because it really has any bearing on the story, because it doesn't. It really impacts the, the story absolutely none. It doesn't stop him. doesn't help him. Uh, it's just there. It's just character flair. And that's all this movie is. It's all window dressing. But it's fun because now we have an actor reacting to something, right? And it's really fun to see him. Oh, there's a boa constrictor. I hate snakes. And he's freaking out. 
cool. Well, let's really watch him freak out in like a pit with thousands of these things. Uh, that's fun. That's entertaining, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, why not? And so Indy as a hero has a weakness, um, but it's not that big a deal. Um, same thing. He's smart, right? This is a core to his characters, how intelligent he is. He knows his history intimately and even reveres it. And he's good at the archaeology. Watching him work is very like cool because you have this local here who's about to get his butt darted. And he's like, I, you should stay here. He's like, if you insist, Indy, <laughs> he doesn't want to go out there. Um, and it's yeah. just really smart to watch Indy doing all this stuff because he's really good at it. And yet he constantly fails spectacularly right he has all these epic failures which is why uh this movie is fun in the first place right he barely escapes the booby trapped uh, tomb right he loses the idol to his enemy and barely escapes with his life that was fun that was entertaining um uh, what else can we see him do <laughs> like let's let's put him through some other stuff uh he loses marion after a lengthy chase he's giving it his all he's really trying to save her in fact he's annoying all the locals uh in, in downtown cairo and knocking over all their stuff like hey what the f bro and finally finds her he's about to rescue her and she explodes right <laughs> that was a really bad loss um and he goes and drinks it off Okay, whatever. She's he finds out she's alive. He finds the ark, loses the ark, and is left for dead. Right? That's a really big win, followed by a really heavy loss. And then he loses his fight against the big German right at the airplane with the propeller. Um, luckily, he gets bailed out. Right? Um, and he's smart enough to duck. That's kind of his saving grace. Is I'm not going to do that. What you're about to do, um, and that's ultimately how he wins a lot. Right? Because he regains the ark at the end and then loses it and Marion all in one fell swoop all over again. And then ultimately God does the dirty work and it's his victories, quote unquote, are really due to his intelligence. Uh, very rarely does his brawn win out. Like he might throw a few good punches, but he also takes a lot of good punches too. Um, so it's really never you know, like his sense of brawn that wins, which is why I also think that gun, uh, fight is so good and so pointed because it underlines his intelligence he sees a guy twice his size uh with a really large sword and he's like i could fight you i'm smart enough not to right i have nothing to prove here bang let's get on with it uh and so his intelligence ultimately wins out and that's what makes him uh a, a character worth rooting for is he does some of these scummy things. Obviously he and Marion have some kind of sordid history, but she forgives him. We can forgive him too. Uh, she goes along for the ride. And so we'll go along too. And no matter what he's doing, we do have a sense of principle that he's working with and he doesn't violate it. Um, I don't feel like he ever violates it. Um, and he holds strong to that and that makes him worth rooting for. And also, you know, he's, he's sympathetic because he is a bit of an underdog and how often he gets his ass handed to him. And that makes him worth rooting for as well. Uh, it's everything you said at the beginning, right? He's he's attainable. I can be that big of a screw up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the next time you're trapped in a in a, a cave with a bunch of, uh, or like with a bunch of snakes, you're yeah. going to find a pillar, you know, and knock it over into the wall. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you ever do that when you're watching a movie like this where you think, okay, the next time that I'm tied up, you know, and gagged, uh, by a villain, this is what I'm going to do because Indy did it. You know, I do that all the time. Like, okay, I'm going to log that away in my brain for the next time that happens. Got that you know. covered. Scenario two. Got it covered. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, 
Yeah. And that's what makes this really fun, right? Um, because it's relying on really fun stuff, good characters. Uh, the music is such a big part of this movie. Uh, the movie doesn't work without the music. You get kind of bored uh, with the action sequences, but the music adds so much flair to it that you can't help but be entertained. And it's a little Mickey Mousing in that way. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Mickey Mousing uh, before here and there, but it's the idea, if you've ever seen the Mickey Mouse Club at the beginning, right? They have the the words at the bottom of the screen and they have the little bouncing ping pong ball that taps every single word as they sing along so that you can sing along to the Mickey Mouse Club song. Same thing. Music can accentuate the moment exactly as it's happening, right? That's Mickey Mousing it. Your editing can do the same thing where you just constantly edit everything on the nose. And it can be, it can be exhausting if you're not doing it right. Luckily, you have, Steel, you have Spielberg and John Williams at the helm. Mm -hmm. You're in good hands. And so watching yeah. like someone... Indy get punched with this big, you know, musical rift. Uh, it's funny. It's entertaining. Uh, it's very Mickey Mouse. And it adds to the humor, right? This this movie, these movies work because of the lighthearted humor uh, at stake. Even though there's some brutal violence that happens, uh, you never feel the brutality of it uh, because of the everything else at play. The adventure, the humor. Um, you uh, During that sequence, uh, when we meet Marion... Indy yeah. shoots a guy in the face and he yes. bleeds out. I had to, yeah, I had to turn it off because Simon was watching it with me. Oh. And I was like, okay, all right, no. <laughs> uh, for just for a second, I, he ended up watching the whole thing, but I didn't let them see the end when the arc is open. That's because that, hardcore. That's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, uh, to, your, to your point, though, about the music really quickly, la last night... Just last night, I just saw that John Williams unveiled new piece of music for Indy 5, which is coming out next year. It's coming out next yeah. year. Next Ooh. year. God. Yeah. You mean Indy 4. Um, and so, because Indy 4 still hasn't Oh, because we, right? we, we don't we don't talk about that. That's correct. We, we just don't. Yeah, agree. I'm really agreed. excited but for that the fourth is, installment. <laughs> I mean that that the uh the that is a heavy duty refrigerator is all I'll say about Indy 4. Okay. <laughs> I will uh, not talk about anything else. But this whole series, this whole saga is a really fun, fresh take on a superhero. Watching our hero get his ass kicked and finagle away to come out on top. It's just pure entertainment. We don't really need it to be more. If it could be more, that's not a bad thing. Uh, but it's fine that it isn't. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I know we're going to cover one more of these um, in a couple of weeks. And so we'll, we'll see if that changes or not. I honestly don't know and so i'll go in uh, with that curiosity in mind yeah so that's that's all i got man any final thoughts that's all no uh not really i think i i said everything i wanted to say i i i and love said this it well. film i still love this film what did <laughs> you said it well oh, thank you um <laughs> i still love the film i think it's super fun you know i don't always like the you know saying well you know i could overlook this and i can overlook that i think it's a cop-out in a lot of ways uh, but for a movie like this, I think that there's so much that that had never happened before that it's kind of like listening to a Beatles album, like a, mm. an original, like a first, you know, I don't know, not Abbey Road because Abbey Road is timeless and it's perfect in every way, I would say. But like, you know, help or something. It's kind of like listening to to that where it's like it's bubblegum, poppy, but nobody had ever done it before. And so you can listen to it and you can forgive a lot 
because you know it was the first time that that had happened and because it changed everything after it like you said at the beginning there's before indiana jones and then there's after indiana jones and we've never lived in a world where where there wasn't the beatles or there wasn't indiana jones and so imagine not having those things right and the fact that it was done so well you know like the car i just keep going back to that car chase scene i i think that is for 1981 is just unbelievable how they shot that i can't that's yeah. so much work you, what you have to realize uh dear listener is that's not just oh here's a here's a road oh this works we're going to have a, a man dragged behind you know a car on this road it does not work that way it takes so much money and resources because you need someone that might be a one mile strip that they're going to film on and you need people to go over every inch of that road grab every single rock pat it make sure you know it's got the uh, a nice powder of dirt so that no one breaks anything uh and accidents still happen like i i, I met a guy on a stuntman uh, a while back and he told me about this horrific accident that he had falling off a horse and he had a bracelet on and the bracelet caught onto something on the ground um i don't want to talk about it i don't want to talk it was about bad, it don't say it. right i yeah and so you know he was like yeah it took me you know a few weeks of recovery but you know i love my work and that's so cool for a stuntman to be like, I've been injured so many times doing so many weird little simple things. Um, and yet, you know, here I am ready. I'm signing back up and it takes people with expertise and patience and understanding to go through and know what to look for, to go through this road. If you're, if you're watching that scene of him underneath the truck, right, you can see they clearly dug out uh, a nice rivet in the bottom, maybe for safety, but also maybe just because you you needed a better shot of him. And so we can see his face. Uh, who knows? Maybe both. Um, but it takes so much care uh, and precision to make something so simple that lasts for five minutes on screen. Uh, that's weeks of work for, you know, a stunt crew. And so, yeah, you're right, man. That's just, that's worth watching and being in awe of because it's still relevant today. That's it's incredible. hundred percent, hundred percent. And they're always on the same, you know, keep, they, did a great job of the 180 rule that you talk about all the time in mm. that shot. We're always coming from the driver's side uh, angle, no matter what the beginning, middle and end of it. It's just, it's, it's just textbook. Yeah. Absolute perfection. I think is one of my favorite car chase scenes I've like ever, you know, and there've been some incredible, like right now, you know, over the last five, 10 years, they've made incredible car chase films. I mean, and I'm not talking about Michael Bay stuff. I'm right. talking about stuff with, that with substance and the important, you know, seminal um, shots, right? Scenes. But this, it always, to me, would go, will go back to something like this. It was d just, I don't know. It's just really, really amazing. And so was, to your point, there are a hundred people who you don't see that, that went into that scene, you know, that, had a major role. I mean, the guy driving the car with the camera on it had to be perfect. The guy running the camera had the guy pulling focus had to be perfect. You know, obviously the guy underneath the car, that was a real dude. That was a real person underneath the car. Right. And so when we talk about things is so when we talk about, I don't know, Tom Cruise doing his own stunts, right. The, these are real people doing these real things. And it's, it's unbelievable now. I mean, because we have a whole nother level of safety now than they had in 1981. 
Also keep that in mind. <laughs> that guy was probably not attached to a harness that was attached to the truck. So if he slipped and let go, I mean, probably I have no idea, yeah. but probably something bad would happen. But I, I, I don't know. It was just, wild. yeah, just really wild. amazing. Really but wild. Yes. Yeah. I, there's also a shot here, man, that I just really loved. I, I mentioned that sunset shot where, or maybe a yeah. sunrise where, they're on the hilltop, but we cut to this other shot of Belloc walking with the Nazis and Belloc runs up and, and realizes who's that on, on the hillside, you know, digging. We didn't have people over there. And so it's this really brief shot where he runs up uh, and jumps on whatever this rail track or something. And he's like, who's that over there? Um, and what blows me away is it, those are two, there's, there's two separate shots that happen with Belloc there. Uh, there's this wide shot of we're panning uh, or we're, we're dollying left to right. And then we stop as he notices this thing in the distance and he runs up and then we cut to uh, a close up, um, slightly close up. It's still pretty wide, um, but it's maybe a medium wide and for him to deliver his line. And what impresses me is the sun hardly moves between those two shots. And so I just kept thinking, he's like, how, how did he do that? And so I'm, I don't know if he just, they were on a zoom and maybe he, they, they zoomed in, but these are anamorphics. And so I don't, I don't know what lens that would have been, or maybe they had a different rig set up like on sticks so that, Hey, we're going to cut to this other one. And maybe it was just a, a whole other camera rig set up with a longer lens to catch the shot. I don't know, but the, the time lapse between those shots looks like it's zero and it's immediate. Uh, and the sun moves fast at the end of the day, um, or at the beginning of the day, the sun moves very, very quickly and it might not feel quickly if you're just sitting there watching it, but when you need to swap lenses, get on a tripod, roll another take, uh, it, it, it runs very, very quickly. Like those things can take minutes. Um, and in, in minutes, the sun can move several degrees. And so I was just really impressed. It, it didn't look like there was, uh, and I didn't go frame by frame and compare, but to me, watching it, I was like, whoa, that looked like fluid, completely fluid. That's awesome. Um, yeah. If you've, if you've ever tried to capture the sun, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and those are, those are things that, you know, like the normal viewer would not notice. Right. But that matter, you know, th th those are the definition of the genius of, of Spielberg, right. Who I, I talk shit about, you know, <laughs> you know, all the time, but in the end he's, he's a genius, you know, he he's one of the best. Absolutely. So, Hands yeah. down. Nice. What are you going to recommend this week? Yeah. So, you know, you've been getting me on the Hulu train lately. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and I, so I've been like, you know, just bouncing around. And one of the good things about Hulu is that I think that their algorithm is really good hmm. in, in that, you know, I'll watch a show and then it'll feed me into another one that, you know, turns out to be something that I enjoy. And uh, so I started watching a show on Hulu called Married. It's been around for a while. It's from 2015, I think it started. And it's I, I, I it's funny. It's endearing. If you're married, it's like uh very on the nose. I mean, the first uh the first episode, you know, the dude wants to have more sex and she's just not having it and you know, whatever. But in the end, at the end of the day, they're they're best friends. And so mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not like one of those one of those, you know, terrible shows that makes it seem like so awful to be married but it does it is very honest and uh unique in that way i don't think if you're married you probably would just like probably 
you know, apathetic about it. And that's totally, I totally get that. Uh, but if you are, it's something that's, that is, it's fun to watch. And the episodes are pretty quick. They're, you know, it's an FX show. So they're, FX just kills it. I just absolutely love and adore FX. Uh, um, they're like 30 minutes or less. So easy to watch. Nice. I, I watched that pilot and I was like, oh my God, I can't like, uh, it stressed yeah. me out. Like it's, it was so yeah. good. Like it was really, really good. And I was like, oh man, it's very, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very accurate for most people. I think not everybody, obviously, yeah, yeah. but I think most people, oh. uh, but yeah, I can totally get, you know, if you're not, if you're not married or you're not in that world or you don't, you know, it's, it's not something that I would recommend to you, but if you are, uh, I uh, just watched the first episode. Oh, that's so yeah. good. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's got the, the cast is great. Judy Greer yes. and, um, Matt N- N- Nixon. I, I always forget his name. Yeah. Something um, like that. His last name. I can't remember. His he's last solid. Name, and she deserves he, yeah. a much better career than she's had. Like she's incredibly talented. Um, I agree. She always, they always give her these like, these, like small and, mom roles, you yeah. know, or whatever. It's, yeah. Anyway, it's pretty jacked up. So I'm going to recommend new film out by George Miller. If uh, you're familiar with the Mad Max series, um, he's finally to me anyway, I think he's done a lot of animation stuff, uh, which was a surprise uh, as I was looking through his uh, filmography, but he finally stepped away from all that to do something new uh, and it's a movie called 3000 years of longing. Uh, it's got Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba and I was in heaven. Like I, I just adored it. I think it's a really fun movie. It's really imaginative. Uh, it's refreshing. Um, and just a new take on whatever storytelling you really. Uh, and so I just appreciated that fresh breath of air. You know, I've, I've been one, I always appreciate someone that kind of says, I'm going to do my own thing. And he very much did. And so, Hats off to George Miller. Really fun story. Highly recommend it. Catch it in theaters if you can. Yeah. I And I too, I like to support stories in theater of stuff that I want to see more of. And so even if maybe I catch a free screening of something that I love, I try to go and like go see it again, maybe just to, you know, pay a few bucks for, for the privilege. Um, yeah. So stay tuned next week. We continue on the Spielberg uh, uh Train. So, train. I was trying to avoid using that word. Um, oh. We're going to take a look at uh, Munich. And so, uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he's doing on the serious side of stuff. Uh, this is one of his far more severe films. Um, and so worth talking about. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, drop us a note. If you want us to talk about something, kinds of things you find interesting, um, shout out to you. Uh, he sent us an email, um, recommending a, a, a nice, uh, I think it was a French film that it's been on my radar since it came out and I just never stopped to watch it. And so appreciate that you, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Um, and, and yeah, finally get around to that. And so if you want to leave a comment on this episode in particular, you can do that at the pestle slash Raiders of the Lost Ark. And our quote of the day is from Richard Branson. The brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. It's wow. That's very indie. That's very indie, right? Yeah. Yeah. What made you pull this from Richard Branson? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was just trying to think of people that you might call. I don't know if he he would be a modern day Indiana Jones, but um, he's an adventurer, right? He's he's a big risk taker. um, And that's been his whole story. It sounds like 
uh, right? If anyone's heard the story of how he got Virgin Galactic started, his his airplane um, or whatever you call that, what do you call what do you call those things? Airline, uh, airline. Thank you. Um, started was he was on a layover and flights had been canceled uh, to the destination that he was trying to get, and he was trying to finagle a way to to still make his flight. And he decided, oh, you know what I'm going to do. He went and found a, a pilot, hired him, and slapped a sign outside that was like, hey, flights to wherever, you know, Geneva, uh, 50 bucks. And sold the flight, made some money off of, and was able to pay the pilot and pay for the gas or whatever, and made a few bucks on top. And that kind of launched his idea for uh, Virgin Galactic um, Airlines. Uh, Virgin wow. Airlines, yeah. And so... Uh, that's the that's the myth. Um, that's way I've, I've always heard it, and so I'll, I'll see if I can verify that and put it in the show notes. But that's kind of been him. He's just this big risk taker, right? He flew a, uh, I think he paid for a, you know a, a space flight, you know, off. I want to say it was his own Virgin Galactic uh, company, maybe not. I whatever. It's really cool that you know he's obviously made a ton of money, and he's still not afraid to take big risks. Um, and that's not a bad lesson, right? Like. Yeah, you can you can be cautious, right, and never take any risk, um, or you can you can risk it, you know, and maybe have a story to tell and uh, some excitement at the other end, maybe some rewards. Who knows? Yeah, great, great quote, love it. I got nothing to add. <laughs> I hope that story is true. Me I think too. that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that kind of stuff. All right, thank you guys so much for joining us. Really appreciate it, Wes. Thank you for all your insight. I think a film like this, really, I, I love listening to you talk about it. You're such a student of the game, and uh, and a film like this gives you a lot to talk about. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Make sure you join us next week. We're doing Munich. Share share this with your friends. Review us. Subscribe. All that good stuff. That all helps tremendously. And let us know if there's a film you'd like us to cover. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.